Welcome to the Northboro Church of Christ YouTube channel. Today we're going to be studying Exodus chapter 11 and 12. You can almost see it as a conclusion to all of the preceding sermons that we've had on the various plagues of Egypt. So in these chapters, Moses has gone to Pharaoh nine times now and asked Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go. And each time, Pharaoh has either refused or said that he would, only after being forced to by a plague. And then he relents as soon as the plague is rescinded. So finally, in chapter 11 and 12, we get to the tenth and final plague. Now before this, Moses now is respected by all of the people in, in, in Egypt and all of the people in Israel because they can see that God is working through him. Pharaoh still hasn't relented, but many people of Egypt are starting to fear God. And so before this plague happens, Moses commands all of the people of Israel to take a lamb and to slaughter it to roast it, and to paint the blood on the doorframe of the house. And that evening, God sends in the destroying angel, and he kills the firstborn of every family in Egypt. And the Egyptians, including Pharaoh, finally crack. And they send the people of Israel out and they say, lest all of us die. And they sent them out in such a hurry that the Israelites, the dough that they had put out the night before, was still rising, and it hadn't finished rising. And Moses had instructed the Israelites to ask the Egyptians for articles of clothing and gold and silver. And the Egyptians gave it all to them. And so... It says that they plundered the Egyptians. The portion of this that we're going to concern ourselves with today, though, is the feast that God, through Moses, institutes on this night. And that is the feast of Passover. And God specifies the rules for this feast. And it's a feast to remember what happened that night. And how God released his people from slavery in Egypt. And how he spared them from the destroying angel that destroyed the firstborn. And we're going to see how that applies to us as Christians today. Now the first and most obvious direct connection is the Lord's Supper that we take every week. Jesus on the night before he was arrested, ate Passover with his disciples. And it was during Passover that he instituted the Lord's Supper. That's why we use unleavened bread. Well, one of the reasons why we use unleavened bread in our Lord's Supper on Sundays. But there's so many connections from the Passover and from this particular first Passover 
to Jesus's sacrifice as our Passover lamb. And we're going to investigate those today. So first of all, let's look at Exodus chapter 12 and verse 5. Exodus 12, 5. It says, Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. So here Moses instructs the people of Israel that their Passover lamb that they use has to be an unblemished male. And we want to specifically look at the fact that it's unblemished. Let's turn to 1 Peter, chapter 1, and verse 18. 1 Peter 1, 18. Knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, <clears throat> but with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, we are redeemed by the most perfect and spotless lamb that has ever existed, the sinless Jesus Christ. And that blood is so precious. And the automatic response to that fact, that that extremely valuable blood, in fact, there is no other person who could have taken that place, who is perfect, like Jesus Christ. To know that that blood is what covers us in our sins is, it should just bring overwhelming gratitude out of us. If we turn to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12, we'll start in. It says, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So let us go to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we do not seek, we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Through him let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name, and do not neglect in doing good and sharing, for such sacrifices God is pleased. So the fact that Jesus suffered and that he gave his blood for us should bring that gratitude out in the actions we take and in the praise that we give to God and in the patience that we have with our fellow men. There also, as I mentioned previously, there's no other name. There's no other sacrifice that can truly save us. We know that Jesus is compared to the Lamb of God. If we turn to John chapter 1 verse 29, John the Baptist here in John chapter 1 verse 29, he prophesies about Jesus and he says, the next day he saw Jesus coming to him, that would be John the Baptist, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has higher rank than I, for he existed before me. 
So the important part here is, he says, Jesus is the Lamb of God. And we're going to talk about some of the aspects of what that means later on. But right now, I want to focus on the fact that he's the only Lamb that we have. If we turn to Acts chapter 4, verse 10. Acts chapter 4, verse 10. Let it be known to you, this is um, Peter, and he's speaking on the day of Pentecost, which is 50 days after Jesus, um, after the Passover, and Jesus has resurrected and he's gone up into heaven. And Peter and the apostles have just been baptized with the Holy Spirit, and they're preaching to a crowd of Israelites and um, converts to Judaism who are there to celebrate the Passover month and also to celebrate the day of Pentecost. They would stay there the, the whole entire month. And he says to them, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. I'm sorry, I told you wrong. This is a couple of days after the day of Pentecost, and Peter is raising, he raised a layman from the dead. Sorry about that. But the point is, Peter here, he says, there's no other name by which we may be called. There's no other sacrifice that is so perfect and holy like Jesus and his sacrifices that can truly forgive our sins. Um, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16 through 17. He says, This is the covenant that I will make with them. This is uh, quoting a prophecy from the Old Testament about the church. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts, and on their mind I will write them, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Our sins and our lawless deeds, if we're a Christian, God doesn't remember them. And that's thanks to the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's thanks only to his blood. There's no other way that our sins can be covered like that. And because this sacrifice is so unique and so precious, it's also very holy, and we have to honor it as such. The Passover lamb that the Israelites took, they had to treat it in a very special ways. They couldn't um, take the meat outside of the house. They also couldn't break any of the bones of the Passover lamb. And if we read in John chapter 19, if we read John chapter 19, verse 32, it says, So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man. This is the soldiers on the time when Jesus is being crucified. And there's the two thieves, to his right and to his left. Or we don't actually know if they were to his right and to his left, I think. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead and did not break his legs. 
So let's skip down to verse 36. For these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture, not a bone of him shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him who they pierced. So no, none of Jesus's bones were broken, just like that Passover lamb. And just like that Passover lamb, we should treat Jesus' sacrifice there as holy. If we turn to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4, it says, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, so that would be people who have become Christians, and have tasted the good word of God and the power of the age to come, and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. So if we turn our backs on Jesus' sacrifice and we choose to live in sin continually, and we disregard that sacrifice, we don't treat it as holy as we should, then we have a terrifying judgment to look forward to. And that's speaking to Christians there. And we'll talk a little bit more about ways that, that we could dishonor that sacrifice and its holy holiness. But just as sort of a preview, in the actions we take, we need to be honoring that sacrifice as holy, both in the fact that we need to be taking actions that are good. We need to be working for God's kingdom. We need to be doing good deeds, but also in the fact of the actions that we don't do, in the fact that we don't um, walk into sin. And especially, a key example of that is in the way we take the Lord's Supper. Are we treating Jesus' sacrifice as holy in that time that we have set apart to remember him? Or are we just focusing on other things? Are we truly focusing our minds on Jesus' sacrifice? So what's the purpose of the Passover lamb? If Jesus is our Passover lamb, and we talked about it a little bit, but the purpose of the Passover lamb is to protect us. That blood that they painted on the doorposts, it acted as a protection against the destroying angel. And in the same way, Jesus' blood acts as a protection for us against sin. Now the key is that we have to stay under that blood. If we look at Exodus chapter 12 again, Exodus chapter 12 and verse 21, it says, Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go, take for yourselves lambs according to your families, and slay the Passover lamb. You shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood which is in the basin, and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and to the two doorposts, and none of you shall go outside of the door of his house until morning. So, I don't know for sure what would have happened if they had left their house, but it is possible that 
if a firstborn had left that protection of that blood from that lamb, that they would have been destroyed. And in the same way, we need to stay under the protection of Jesus' blood. Now, there are some false doctrines and false teachers who teach that we can't, once we've been covered by the blood, ever lose that salvation. And that is false. And we could preach a whole sermon on that, but we'll just look at maybe one verse here. So if we turn to Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. And if we remember the verse we read previously about those who crucify again, Jesus. This verse is talking specifically to people who are still, uh, who haven't fallen away. And it's talking about people who maybe fell into a sin. And we need to try to bring them back into the fold. But we can leave that. And when we're in sin like that, we're in a dangerous position. We're outside of the protection that Jesus gives us. And now this is a complicated topic. And you could you could do, as I said, a whole sermon on it. So I want to be clear that if you're a Christian and you commit a sin um, on accident or just you aren't thinking you sin in some way, and maybe you haven't gotten around to repenting of it. I don't necessarily think that what these verses mean is that if you were to die right then, or Jesus was to come back, that you can't repent of those sins. I think that God knows our heart, and if we're truly seeking him, um, he will, of course, be the judge of your true motives. But if you are in sin and you realize it, you need to realize that you are in danger and you're outside of that protection that that blood gives. We can also see that at the original Passover and in the rules that were followed for the Passovers later on, that the uncircumcised, that would be people who weren't part of God's people, people of Israel, they were excluded from the Passover. If we look at Exodus chapter 12, Exodus chapter 12 and verse 48, it says, But if a stranger sojourns with you and celebrates the Passover, let all his males be circumcised and let him come near to celebrate it, and he shall be like a native of the land. But no uncircumcised person may eat of it. The same law shall apply to the native as to the sojourner who sows who sojourns among you. So, we know that our circumcision is in the fact that we've become a Christian. If we turn to Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. Colossians 2, 11, it says, And in him, that would be Jesus, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So we are circumcised if we're as Christians and we're in the church. 
we're circumcised, so we can take part of that Passover lamb. But if we're not uncircumcised and we have a stiff heart and we are stiff-necked and we are in rebellion to God, then we're going to be outside of that protection of Jesus' blood and Jesus' sacrifice. And we need to choose to be covered by that blood. We turn to Second Peter, and actually the whole um, portion of chapter 2 is useful for this, but we're, we don't have time to read all of it. So we're just going to read verse 9 through 11, and then verse uh, 20 through 22. But first of all, verse 9 through 11. Sorry, I'm in First Peter, Second Peter. Second Peter, chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous for under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. Daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties, whereas angels who are higher in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. Skip down to verse 20. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in, in them and become overcome, this last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it, to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. So I think these verses both apply to people who have heard the word, believed in the word, and left, and also to people who hear the word and reject the word. If you're hearing this, and you are not a Christian, and you know you're not right with God, please do some serious thinking and realize that you need Jesus' sacrifice to be right with God. That on your own, your good deeds are as filthy rags. And that God is so willing to give that covering and that sacrifice to you, that precious, precious blood. God is willing to give it to you as a free gift. But if you revile him and you spit in his face in that offer, then there's nothing more that can be done to help you. We also see that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 28. Hebrews 11, verse 28. By faith he, that would be Moses, kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. So Moses... He kept the Passover by faith. In the same way, through our faith, we can take Jesus' sacrifice. We also want, if, if we truly believe in the sacrifice, and we truly are covered in the blood, we're going to want to share that and teach it to others. If we look at the original Passover in Exodus chapter 12, verse 23, 
Exodus 12:23. It says, For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come to your houses and smite you. And you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever when you enter the land which the Lord will give to you, as he has promised. You shall observe this right. And when your children say to you, What does this right mean to you? You shall say, It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians, but spared our homes. And the people bowed low and worshipped. So the original Passover, God instituted it as a reminder to the people of Israel and as a teaching tool so that they would remember how they had been delivered from Egypt and from the land of bondage and how they had been given their freedom and how God had protected them all throughout that and that that would cause their children to follow God as well. In the same way, we need to be able to say about our faith when someone asks us, why do you believe in Jesus? What does he mean to you? We need to be able to answer that question. If we look at Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. <clears throat> you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So our faith it needs to be a light to other people. And we should be so grateful for that sacrifice that that light just shines through us. And if it doesn't, then we need to be evaluating our priorities and working so that it does shine and so that people do know that we are a child of God. Lastly, if you've ever um, studied the Old Testament, you know that one of the key parts of Passover was removing the leaven from your house. Um, in, the, in the rules in Exodus chapter 12, when he institutes it, God says that there's to be no leaven eaten on Passover. And in fact, I believe those who, were, who ate leaven on the Passover, they were to be excluded from Israel. They were to be shunned and um, basically cut off from their family, from their friends, from their nation. And that might seem a really strange and harsh rule. But the reason is that all of the rules in the Old Testament, as you study them, they're symbols for what's coming in the church. And the leaven is no exception. If we look at 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 6. 
Paul says, your boasting is not good. He's talking to the Corinthians. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So as you look through the Bible, leaven represents sin. And just a little bit of sin, in this particular instance, he's talking about sin getting into the church. If that little bit of sin doesn't take much yeast, if you have a loaf of bread to make the whole loaf rise, if just a little bit of sin can get in the church, it can cause all kinds of division and conflict, bitterness, jealousy, and so many problems. And that's why as we celebrate the Passover, sort of, every Sunday in the Lord's Supper, and as we remember Jesus' sacrifice for us as our Passover lamb, we have to make sure that we don't have leaven in our lives and in our church. Now, there, we could preach a whole sermon on the proper ways to do church discipline. And there are definitely wrong ways to do it. But it's also wrong to not have some discipline in the church and to weed out sin when it comes in. So if, if we have sin in the church, we need to make sure that we remove it. Now, there's a procedure for removing sin from the church. We don't have time to go over all of that, but we'll just read Matthew chapter 18 real quickly. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15. If your brother sins, go, show him his fault in private. And if he listens to you, you have won your brother. So that's the first step. If you notice someone who's in sin, don't go talking about it to other people. Don't be gossiping behind their back. And go to them in a spirit of gentleness and kindness. Not to point out their error so that you look better. Or to point out their error such that you can get them out of the church. You want to point out their error, like we read earlier, so that you can restore them to the faith. And he continues on. If he doesn't listen to you, in verse 16, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. So, if a person is in sin, you go to them. You talk to them about it. They refuse to listen to you and they continue in their sin. Not that they're trying to work on it. That's the problem that they have. They're trying to get better if they are stubborn and they refuse to improve and they refuse to do anything about it, they refuse to even maybe acknowledge that it's a sin, then discreetly, still not talking behind their back, take someone else with you to talk to them about it. And if he refuses to listen to them, verse 17, Tell it to the church. 
So if after talking about it with the leadership of the church, the elders or whatever, bringing them to see the person, if they refuse to still listen, then we're going to tell it to the church body. And if they refuse, still, they're not trying to improve. It's not a habit that they have that they're trying to break, but they're still struggling with. But it's a sin, and they are living in it. And they refuse to listen to the church. Then he says, <clears throat> if, he, if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him beat you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So Jesus is speaking here to Jews. And they saw Gentiles and tax collectors as people who shouldn't be associated with you. You shouldn't eat with them. You shouldn't... Uh, you should only talk to them if you absolutely have to for business or something. And in the same way, sometimes if someone is rebellious, they're going against God, that is something that has to happen. And they're still claiming to be a Christian. And I've, I've known only this happen a couple times, and oftentimes it doesn't happen like it should. But when it does happen like it should, it works oftentimes. And there's people who I know who the people at the church there, they went through this discipline process and this person wouldn't listen. So they removed them from the church. And that caused the person to realize the error of their ways. They are back in the church they're a healthy Christian. They've been a healthy Christian for years now, and they're really working for God's kingdom. So the goal of this is, of course, not to shame the person who is in sin, but to help restore them. But we need to make sure that we're doing that so that we honor that sacrifice in our church. We also need to get the leaven out of our personal lives. In uh, Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 11. How is it that you do not understand that I do not speak to you concerning bread? Sorry. Uh, I want to start. In... <clears throat> that I do not speak to you concerning bread, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not say to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teachings of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So we can think of leaven in our, our lives as sin or as false teachings that we believe. And we want to get those out of our lives, both to honor Jesus' sacrifice and so that we stay under his blood and under that protection that we have. And the encouraging thing is, we can overcome that sin. Sometimes it may seem like sin is just, there's that temptation and there just isn't a way to resist it. And we just have this struggle that we have. But we know there's verse after verse. One of them is uh, 1 John. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. 
Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by the water and the blood. Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and the blood. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is truth. So through the water of baptism and through the blood of Jesus Christ and his sacrifices, our Passover lamb, we can overcome that sin. We can grow in Christ. We can become more and more like Jesus. And if we all do that, then our churches will be healthy. We will be a light, a shining light on the hill. So I hope that you will just realize how amazing Jesus' salvation is. The fact that he's given his precious, unique blood for us. And that that will cause you to respond to his call to action. That you will work for his kingdom. You will teach others. You will be a shining light. And you will strip the leaven out of your life and out of the church. And that you will work to unify and, and help the church to grow. I thank you for listening. And I hope you have a good week.